We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So uh, either, I don't know, were you able to hear any of the things uh, that I spoke to the other group about? Or you're probably busy doing your own study here? Yeah. All right. So, so we can send the recordings over also, inshallah, send it to the, all the students here. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so, so then we can, we can do um, uh, even potentially other material. Uh, so, so yeah, as, as Sheikh mentioned, um, uh, I'm a chaplain. Half of my position officially, contractually, is chaplaincy, and the other half is teaching. So I teach Islamic studies courses both at Loyola University of Chicago. And, but time-wise, at least 80% is chaplaincy. You know? um, and that is probably also an underestimation uh, because I'm essentially on call 24-7. I mean, even while we were at lunch, I got texts. Uh, while I was with the other students, uh, I received text messages with students, with these or those issues, what have you. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if there is uh, a particular place where, where you'd like to begin, um, uh, whether it's to find out what chaplaincy is. Chaplaincy is basically anything. Okay? There, there isn't a certification process, which means that <clears throat> chaplaincy is what the chaplain makes it to be. And so in terms of the work, most commonly it is pastoral care. So students will come to my office, and I'm triaging to figure out what it is that they need. Sometimes it's a personal, uh, uh, personal dilemma. Sometimes it is a dilemma regarding dean. Sometimes it is an academic dilemma. And so I'm triaging to see what am I capable of addressing. If it's related to dean, 99% of the time I can address it. And dean can be any type of question. I'm having problems of faith, right? Or sometimes <clears throat> a smaller percentage will relate to ahkam. Right, but more often, it's you know how do I make sense of faith? How do I? Why should I believe in Dean? And I'll come back to that point. I'll give you a brief history of the big issues of the past year or two, um, and then on top of that, uh, if it's a personal matter, <clears throat> sometimes I can address it just from life experience. I'm not a trained psychologist. I'm not a trained therapist, but I'm twice as old as the students are, and there's a lot of issues that I can address just from life experience. And undergrads, especially Muslim grads, uh, Muslim undergrads, they have two issues that are on their mind. You know what they are? Marriage, Marriage and Money. med school. So, so those, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, vast majority of them. Yeah, <laughs> at least in Chicago. You know, maybe. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> I mean, there's a third one. Anybody want to guess what the third one is? Jins. So, 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 Jins and Nuzer. So, so those are, yeah. Well, uh, uh, Evil Eye, Ayn, Ayn. Yeah. So, um, uh, I mean, uh, one of the classes that I offer is just an open forum. We call it a student life class. Ask whatever you want. And the running joke is that every one hour session eventually either gets to marriage or it gets to black magic, Jins, Nuzer, all those things. Yeah. When, uh, I mean, to really make the point, when, when I talk to high schoolers, their favorite topic is, is the end of the world. You know, signs of the day of judgment, hell, they love talking about those things. You know. But yeah, that's what's on people's minds. And in any case, so pastoral care. Um, then in other uh, chaplaincies, they focus much more on programming. Programming can be events related to Islam, usually lectures. 
we'll bring in lectures, somebody to talk about something. Uh, and to lesser degree, other work is sort of interfaith type things or being a liaison for the university to the students or for the students to the university. Loyola was very generous before I got hired. They set up a nice musalla uh, with even wudu rooms. We call them foot baths, but uh, with wudu rooms and such. And we're even going to renovate it all this, this, uh, this summer, inshallah. Uh, but the key point here is chaplaincy is something wide open. Uh, it is almost what you want it to be or almost what the students seem to need. So, for example, this particular school year that just ended, I had a lot of things that I planned for programming, but I had to stop all of them, almost all of them, because I was getting so bombarded with students visiting me in the office. Okay? So I'm there in the office, give or take about 40 hours, and in a given day, I might have eight to 10 scheduled appointments and at least as many walk-ins. So think of the numbers. So that's 16 to 20, sometimes higher number of students that I see. Usually when I'm scheduling an appointment, usually I schedule for about 30 minutes. Sometimes they go longer, sometimes shorter. And the day after the inauguration, no, the Monday after the inauguration, I had 40 students visiting. Okay. So to talk about what's been going on, this is a, a little bit of a repeat for, for the other class, but to give you a sense of what's happening with students. Uh, in the 2015-2016 year, so the previous school year, the most common issue students were visiting me with was anxiety. Far and away above everything else. Faith issues were there, family problems were there, personal problems were there, anxiety was above everything else. And I trace this back to the killing of those three Syrian kids in North Carolina that that moment for a lot of people, a lot of young Muslims, was this moment where the fear that this hostility, this violence is gonna to happen to us is now happening. Okay? Now, to be fair, there's some unfairness about that whole narrative because the same time that those three kids were killed, may Allah's mercy be upon them, there was a student in Kansas City, I think it was, who's I think from Kenya, that got almost no attention, Muslim kid, and that was determined to be a hate crime. There's a lot of pushback, is this hate crime, parking dispute, whatever. Um, uh, and so there, is, there are also racial, ethnic uh, issues in our narrative. But nevertheless, that was a moment that things changed for a lot of people. And so from the end of that school year, that was February of 2015 to the end of that year, uh, anxiety upon anxiety among the students. And then when we began this past school, uh, then the 2015-16 year, most common issue throughout that whole year was anxiety. By saying most common, I'm saying 30 to 50% was anxiety. Okay. And I even talked to people in our wellness center, and they suggested that this current generation does not have as much resilience as previous generations. And I think there's some truth to that as well. Uh, but then when we began this past school year, 2016-2017, uh, the students began the school year exhausted, literally out of energy. They all looked depleted. And trying to figure out what this was, at first I was wondering how come no students are doing anything. And then talking with the students, they all had this same feeling. And the conclusion we came to was that last summer was an exhausting summer. There's the shootings in Orlando. And then bombing after bombing after bombing after bombing. Attempted coup in, in Turkey. Bombing in Medina. And I think the students are just drained. And another point to think about, 
that more than we realize, when we're in public space, we feel compelled to perform as Muslim. This includes the choice, the clothes we choose to wear, right? And this is especially a burden on the sisters, right? Especially if you're a sister who covers your hair, then you're under a microscope, as you all know better than any of us guys do. And that in itself is exhausting, more than we realize that I always have to be alert about being Muslim. Okay? Now, ideally, it would be taqwa, where I'm always being alert about the fact that Allah is watching. Okay? But this is different. You're always wondering what are, what are, you're always wondering what are people thinking. Okay? Uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, are you familiar with him? Have you heard of him? So he's, he's a very prominent thinker from about 100 years ago, a black American thinker. He has this concept of a double consciousness. Are you familiar with this? So some of you are. So he was speaking in the context, especially of young black American men and women, saying that they have a double consciousness. They have the consciousness of themselves, how do they look at the world, how they live life, and at the same time, they're also conscious of how are white people looking at them. Okay? And that in itself is exhausting. Okay? And I'm suggesting that we have that, at least as a community, more than we realize. And the 20-year-olds have that. Right? What are people thinking of me? Are people being hostile towards me? Are they ready to be hostile? And then when you have bombing after bombing after bombing, you reach a point where you get tired of apologizing. Yeah. You know, there's going to be another attack. What do I do? What's the point? So they begin the school year exhausted. And then as we got closer to the election, the anxiety is returning. And after he got elected, uh, that anxiety translated to just terror. What's going to happen to us? And various Islamic Center leaders have been, had been inviting me to come talk to their kids, talk to the parents. And when I speak to the kids, meaning the grade schoolers, I tell them, okay, your job is to be the best in society. Your job is to work harder than everyone else. But when in the same afternoon I talk to their parents, I'd say the same thing that I would say to the undergrads, which is, I have no idea where we're going to be in a year, right? Looking at what is happening in our society, what has been happening in our society for the past few decades, pre-9-11, uh, this is not promising, right? Especially in what little I've studied in terms of previous other genocides, Bosnia, Holocaust, etc. Uh, this is not at all looking promising. Okay? This is looking actually very, very concerning. Okay? That's what I'm saying to the parents, that's what I'm saying to the undergrads. Okay? Baby understood what I was saying. Sorry, baby. Baby and children. Oh, no, that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So, uh, and so, but still with the undergrad. No, inshallah, baby. Baby, it'll be okay. It'll be okay, inshallah. <laughs> usually when I'm, when I'm giving a chutbah, I come see how many people I've put to sleep. And so babies are usually out cold when I'm, when I'm talking, <laughs> along with their parents. But anyway, anyway. So, the, uh, but also, I frame it uh, both to the parents, but especially to the undergrads that, okay, we have nothing right now very much to defend ourselves. Okay? Yeah, when the Muslim ban happened, a whole lot of people... Oh, my goodness. Oh, you thought you said you were leaving at 2.30. No, you're leaving at 2.30. Oh, okay, then I'll cut this short, inshallah. Okay, sorry, sorry. you can sit in if you want, inshallah. Sure. Oh, this is Mufti Kamani. This is Prince. Oh, okay. okay. I didn't know your first name. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, come on in, come on in. Oh, I didn't realize you, uh, I thought you said you were leaving. Okay. Well, I'm going to head out. 
Okay, so, <clears throat> so the point to think about is that, all right, there are people who are also speaking up on our behalf at the time of the Muslim ban, but ultimately, I'm comparing this more to Badr, at the very least, where all we have, really, is the condition of our Iman. If you do not have Iman in this situation, the fear is going to destroy you. Okay? Uh, depending upon the level of Iman you have, the more resilience you'll have to what's happening. Because you will understand Allah Ta'ala is not going to give you anything you can't handle. Uh, but He will definitely give you struggle. Okay? And the sad part is, uh, looking at what's happening in the world, I mean, America is just learning how to be a third world country now. Okay. There's a, this is, you'll probably never in your entire Alimia studies ever hear the Sopranos being quoted, this TV show, the, the conversation you and I had yesterday, Prem. You know what I'm talking about, the TV show, Sopranos? You can admit it. Yeah. Okay. So, so there's this conversation. I'm sorry? Never seen it, but I know okay. of it. It's a thing, yeah. <laughs> so, so Tony Soprano, this mobster, has this conversation with this Eastern European woman who's missing a leg. Yeah. She's like his housekeeper. And he asks her, how come you always seem so happy and I'm always so miserable? Okay. And she says, Americans believe that they're promised paradise. Americans believe they deserve paradise. And all the rest of us in the world assume we're going to be hit with hell. So for all the rest of us in the world, when things are bad, we're like, yeah, that's how life works. When things are nice, then we're like, oh, this is great. In America, it's the opposite. Why is this happening to me? Why is God making this happening to me? Okay. And I think this is also telling in terms of the experience that a lot of us have in our communities, or a lot of our community members have, that when you come to America, it is like paradise on earth compared to many parts of the country, if we're talking about white suburban America. And then you almost feel entitled to have peace and quiet. And the point I have to make to the undergrads, that's not the norm of life. Okay. The default of life is that you will have joys in life, but you're also definitely going to be hit with struggle. And so a point to think about, when we imagine Dean, Dean gives you salvation. Okay. Dean gives you an explanation of the unseen. Dean gives you a sense of where you are, where you're headed. Okay. But Dean also should be giving you a way to navigate through life. Okay. If it is not doing that, then either you will leave Islam or your kids or most definitely your grandchildren will leave Islam if they don't have something to get them through life. Okay. And a lot of that is now what I'm seeing at the college level. Okay. Meaning these are people who are children or grandchildren of people who have not given them an Islam that is useful for them. They have a ton of knowledge. The common eighth grader Muslim right now has far more knowledge than I did when I was in college. Mashallah for that, but they have far less guidance on how to use that knowledge. Right? So you can watch 100,000 YouTube videos. And there's a sentiment we have in the community that is if you're learning Dean, it's all going to change you and everything. No. I mean, the material you're covering right now, there's a reason it's in year two. Imagine this being Islam 101. Okay? It'll mess people up. Right? Like, there's still a lot of people in Chicago who believe that all I need to do, I don't need to listen to scholars, I can open up Bukhari and Muslim, and I'll get what I need. How do you answer that person? What would you say? I tell them that it's the same thing as when I go to WebMD. Yeah. 
and I'm diagnosing myself, and I discover I have all these illnesses that even a man can't even get, right? <laughs> that I have diagnosed myself that I have this, right? And that's exactly what happens if you're studying hadith on your own, without understanding the assumptions in Bukhari, without understanding the assumptions in Sahih Muslim, so forth and so on, right? Meaning, you may benefit yourself, or you may make your life miserable, okay? And usually what happens with self-study is you're cutting down the rahmah of Allah. You think you're allowing yourself more freedom. In my experience, most of those people are actually sh uh, shrinking and shrinking the rahmah of Allah. Because yeah. they'll say, okay, this ayah says there's no intercession. Therefore, there's no intercession. All the hadith about the Prophet's intercession, they're wrong. Peace be upon him. Okay. So you're cutting down rahmah. And that's usually what's happening. And again, their children are the children who are in college now. And so another way to frame this is I don't know why a 15-year-old Muslim raised in America is Muslim. Ask yourself, what incentive do they have to be Muslim beyond a promise or a threat? A promise of heaven or a threat of hell? Okay. Do they have anything else? Do they have anything of relevance, of benefit to their lives, except something that makes their life more difficult? Okay. And I want you to think about that as you're going through your learning, because this is the common state of the college students, that why should I be Muslim? Now to take this further, inauguration day, people are coming to my office crying. February, March this year, students are literally coming to my office over and over and over again, 30 to 50%, maybe more, saying, why should I believe in any of this? Why should I believe in Islam? What is Islam giving me? It makes me miserable. All the people in my family who are Muslim are tyrants inside the house, even though they pray and read Quran. Maybe that's why they are. I'm sure all of you know examples of people like this, saying this is very, very more common than it should be among the undergrads. But then that shifted to April, where the issue became suicide ideation. A huge surge of Muslim students saying, I don't want to be alive anymore. Some of it I'm connecting to all of this that's been happening. Some of it is also related to this Netflix show, 13 Reasons Why, that I just finished watching. With 13 Reasons Why. It's basically, it's 13, a 13 episode Netflix show. Each show is about an hour. And it's about a girl, a high school girl who's killed herself. And she gives uh, the equivalent of her suicide note, 13 explanations for why. Each is like an audio cassette. And each episode is about this like 13 reasons for why she killed herself. And there's two reasons over and over again. Either she was treated wrongly by people. I mean, it gets pretty, pretty graphic. Or she's abandoned by people she needed help from. Yeah. And I think that sums up also the experience of a lot of our students. Yeah. They feel there's nobody to turn to. Yeah. Why should I be Muslim? What am I getting out of it? What am I seeing? Okay. And then on top of that, Anybody I turn to is telling me, you just need to pray more, and, that's, and the problem is yours. And so think about that, that as you, inshallah, are, are gaining more and more knowledge, you're also embracing the responsibility of being the person to give those people answers. Okay. And I'm not claiming to have answers for, for all these young people. Right? A lot of my answers just come from life experience. But how do I address some of these? Uh, what most of these students really need is compassion. Okay. Uh, you know, in the recordings, you'll hear the story of this, this Hindu kid who became Muslim. A point I didn't mention there 
is I think one of the reasons is I'm probably the first Desi uncle who was nice to him, you know, who talked to him with respect and courtesy. And even the Muslim kids in Chicago who convert to Christianity, which is also happening, I think it's actually related to this issue of compassion. You know, when they're at home and in their Muslim settings, all they're getting hit with is is difficulty, reprimand, punishment, and then they go to the church and everyone's welcoming them with open arms. They're not caring about the theology. And and, that's your burden and my burden to to figure it out. A lot of times I tell people my job is the janitor. I'm the one who has to clean up the mess of other people. And that's literally a lot of the work that I do. This person has gotten messed up by their family. This person's gotten messed up by their community. And now they're coming to me often as their last hope. And sometimes I don't think I succeed. Allah knows best. But that's what all of you are embracing. Yes? Um, Given that you're a student, do they ever uh, feel awkward in the beginning? Yes. The vast majority of them do. Okay. Yeah. How many sessions do you relax? Hopefully by the end of the first session. And part of it, I mean, Prem can tell you, uh, the personal version of me that you're seeing is super serious, Muzaffar. The real Muzaffar is a person who says all kinds of inappropriate jokes. Yeah. That I especially do with undergrads. <laughs> so sometimes they're the more mature people in the room. Right. My daughters will tell you, you know, it's like, Baba, stop, right? Uh, uh, like this one joke, you know, after Elon Musk announced that he's going to move us all to Mars. This Pakistani guy decides, in the name of Pakistan, I'm going to take us all to Jupiter. No, I'm going to take us all to the sun. Okay? And then everyone starts laughing at him. Your, your spaceship's going to evaporate before you get there. And then the Pakistani goes, how the dumb you are. I'm not going to go there in the daytime. Yeah, yeah look at Pichata Prem. He's like, I've gotten too much of this. Hey, hey, what do you think, Prem? Like 10 more minutes, 15 more minutes? Is that cool, inshallah? Or is that going to be too long? Uh... I have a crowd against me. Oh no no okay <laughs> okay we'll do we'll do we'll do fifteen minutes and then I'll run. Seven forty five, but I, I also have to uh, uh, see Prem's family. Like uh, they were they're uh, courteous enough to host me, but I cannot sit by. I woke up and left. <laughs> yeah okay, but anyway, I'll, I'll be quick. So, so the point to think about is when we are presenting Islam to people, are we presenting something that is recognizable? as Rahmah. Okay? We say the primary relationship Allah Ta'ala has with creation is Rahmah. The Prophet is Rahmah to all the world. Ruhama Bainahum, that we all have Rahmah to each other. Husband and wife. Mawadda wa Rahmah. Um, but is that what the recipient is hearing in terms of the Islam that we're teaching? And I'm suggesting to you that Islam as we teach it throughout the country is nowhere close to that. I used to run a Sunday school. I went through all the Sunday school books at that point. I don't know how much things have changed. And I'd say, most of them are just teaching trivia uh, and very little actual rahma. That this enhances my life. That this gives me self-worth. That this gives me dignity that Allah Ta'ala has endowed me with. That's the deen that you need to teach everyone. Because I'm suggesting in the experience of 20-year-olds, what they've been receiving is literally the opposite. Right. They've been receiving 
punishment, reprimand in the form of Islam. What do you think? I think that's definitely the case. And thus, when we're saying Islam should be guiding you on how to navigate life, it means that when you're hit with struggle, at the very least, someone should understand, okay, it's by design, it hurts, just like Yaqub al-Islam is hurting over missing his son, okay, uh, but I will get through it, and I should keep a good opinion of Allah, right? And should understand that when I'm hit with ease, I should be grateful to Allah, and Allah will even give me more. But if I'm grateful, I'll even feel better about it in my heart. And then when I need to obey, I obey. When I need to make tough decisions, I'll make a decision the best I can, you know, bi'ithnillah, with istikhara, and sometimes I might make a wrong decision, and I seek forgiveness. Four basic tests. Struggle, ease, obedience, and making difficult decisions. And so what I'm saying is that the Islam that we are giving to young people will either keep them in the deen or they have nothing else holding them in, will give them an excuse to leave the deen. That's a burden that's greater on us right now than was the case when my generation was in college. Because my generation had a whole bunch of other hooks keeping us in, like culture, or we felt much more like an anomaly in society. We felt much more like we're in exile. So there's already pressures on us. Um, but these younger people don't have any of that. You know, again, this Hindu kid you're going to hear the recording about, he asked me, what am I going to have to give up? I said, you're going to have to give up drinking sooner or later. And he says, but all the guys I drink with are Muslim. And those are all the guys in the front row at Juma. Right. And I said, well, at least they're coming to Juma, right? But yeah, they should not be drinking, right? And those are, you know, my, my, my humble reflections in terms of life in, in chaplaincy. Uh, all of us were choosing to be on the front row, front lines. And, you know, we are more than we might realize holding the fates of people in our hands. Both of what we do and what we don't do. I mean, the heart, Allah Ta'ala controls the heart of a person. And there's some people that Allah Ta'ala's heart, you know, Allah Ta'ala is going to take their heart elsewhere. Yes? Sheikh, one thing, you've discussed this in the class as well, so <clears throat> something that makes me concerned is that when you're out in the field after our academia is done, uh, just being able to provide the right answers at the right time. Yeah. And some of the things, things that you've echoed, you know, it's nerve-wracking yes. that people will come, that you being the last hope, yeah. and you're not being ready. So... Where we are now, buried in our books, um, you know, do you recommend us shadow people? Or yes. What do we do? If you can shadow people, that'd be fantastic. Can we shadow you? Yeah, I mean, you're all welcome to shadow me. I don't know if there's enough space in the office, but yeah, all of you are welcome. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm more than offer myself in whatever capacity I can to help you. Um, Atifa has my info, Sheikh has my info. Otherwise, just look up Muslim chap in Loyola. Um, and it's terrifying. It is, right? It's the type of thing that keeps me up at night. No doubt. And to put it in perspective, one time, someone came to me asking me to perform her, her wedding with her convert husband, okay? And she said that uh, they wanted me to do it because he attended a session that I did, and that's when he decided to become Muslim. I didn't even know about any of this. And I remember that session. I hated the session. I left unhappy because I didn't get any samosas. It was like a midnight uh, lecture. And I was like, yeah, exactly, mashallah, sums it up. Yeah, yeah. And, and I remember how, like, you know, disappointed I was just because I didn't get any samosas, right? How, like, how, how ridiculous is that? And then I got terrified, 
He's one who turned to the dean. So how many people have I turned away? And that's terrifying, right? So we always begin and end with dua and always seeking forgiveness, right? Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. But one of the blessings is that we have dua, which can also be that cushion that, all right, if I say anything wrong, make them forget it. You know? And please make the benefit, you know, reach them. So, but your point is very, very important. You know. Yes? Um, being male, does it hinder the women from coming? That's a very good question. <clears throat> I think it does, to some degree. Uh, the fact that uh, I'm way older than them, I think, makes it easier for other women to come to me. Right? I mean, if you watch Fresh Prince of Bel Air, they say I'm Uncle Phil. <laughs> yeah, you can't unsee it now. But, uh, but if you know gangster rap, I like to think of myself as Suge Knight, but no, okay, you probably don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. No, no, yeah. Actually, no, he's in jail now. Never mind, never mind, never mind. Yeah. Yeah, I know, no, no, no. Anyway, so but the point being uh, that for, I think for uh, some of the women, uh, they feel an extra sense of comfort. And one of the blessings about my office is that there's a big window where there's an atrium and people across, not too far across uh, the hall, can look to see who's inside. And so, generally speaking, there's no stigma for people to be sitting in my office. And there's also, on the other side, there's a big window. And it's also common, uh, almost every meeting, for people to cry in my office. But in the same way that it's easier for some women to come to my office, I also think it's hard for some men to come to my office for the exact same reason, because they see their father. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's some women who probably aren't as comfortable because I'm a man, and there are other men who are more comfortable. I think the women generally talk to each other much more, and so they pull each other more in. Guys don't talk to each other, right? And, and so if I was younger, it'd probably be a lot harder for, for many women to come to my office. And because they are, they've even met my daughters. They're now just a little bit older than my daughters anyway, right? Uh, so, but I still wonder how many women don't come because of a man. Yeah. Any other questions? So you were suggesting that um, we, to uh, a good place to start with you know, tackling some of these issues is trying to change the, the just the narrative that's in the community now, away from kind of, like you said, the trivia, yeah. the fit, the kind of like, all right, am I praying with my hands here, my hands yeah. here, hands here, and more so that, you know, that compassion, that rahmah, mm -hmm. uh, and that compassion is what will kind of uh, show that, that sense of connection to the uh -huh. religion, or that, that sense of uh, yearning for the mm -hmm. religion. Um, are there any other things that, you know, maybe you could... Another point is that <clears throat> when someone enters your office, they should be in better shape when they leave. So you have to figure out what they specifically need in that moment. Okay. Uh, so suppose someone gay comes to your office, right? Yeah. Suppose someone uh, is in a, a, a relationship, dating relationship, right? Everybody knows what's haram, what's not haram, right? You have to figure out what you can give them so that when they leave the office, they're in better shape. And sometimes you need them to come back on a regular basis. So also my triaging, do I feel like this is going to be a one-time thing, or will I see them on a regular basis? Then can I give them assignments to work on? Will they do assignments to help develop themselves? 
Because essentially, a lot of my work long-term is rebuilding everybody from within, starting with gratitude. That's usually the, the place, before everything else. Uh, any other questions before I run? Yes? Um, I just wanted to know if you noticed the difference between the types of um, things that gender differences and the issues that they come with. Because I know you said anxiety was at the top, and I wanted to know if that was equal across. Anxiety is across the board. Um, all the points that I mentioned are definitely across the board. Uh, the women, as of late, have had far more faith issues than the men. Yeah. I don't know yet. Because I'm not even sure what's causing this sudden surge of faith problems. I mean, I'm connecting to some degree with what's happening in society, but why did it suddenly increase? And it's been far more women than men. Uh, Full-time Islamic school graduates are nowhere immune from any of this. Sometimes they're the ones who are first in line with faith problems because they've been in a bubble, and now they're outside of the bubble. Yeah. How much do you work with um, uh, with the ones in Chicago, we're always talking to each other. Um, and the ones across the country, we talk a little bit. I haven't talked as much, and part of it, and this is entirely me, uh, I haven't found as much to learn because my, I have 800 Muslims, undergrads. Most of them have about 100 or two. So I find myself often being more of the teacher. And then it's just a matter of how much time to give. Yeah. Yes? So how, I know you said you don't have a background in psychology. Yeah. So, um, I have close relationships with our wellness center, and I'm often referring people to the wellness center. I think maybe half of the people that I refer actually go, which is better. I mean, it's something that's actually an increase. Some I know don't go, right? but sometimes I feel like I keep the wellness center in business. I send so many people that way. Yeah. You also had a question? She asked the question. Okay. Yes? Are you close to the, like, very, very close. Uh, uh, I'm a complete product of the Chicago Muslim community. I have a presence literally in every corner of Chicago in terms of the Muslim community. And this is also an important point regarding chaplains, in my experience. Uh, how they feel about their Muslim community will reflect how they feel about their MSA. And the relationship you should have is love for your community. Another way to think about this is that, okay, the Chicago Muslim community is, is huge. We have like 90 uh, masjids. Um, and... Uh, whatever you want to think of the Muslim community is there. If you want to think of the Muslim community as a bunch of thieves, we have that. A bunch of hypocrites, we have that. A bunch of humble people who are upright, we have that too. So what you see in the community is actually reflecting what is inside of you. Right? And so look at the community as people to serve, meaning when Allah Ta'ala brings someone into my office, he has given me an opportunity to serve. So I am the beneficiary um, on the other side. Right. And when that door closes, it means that you know, Allah Ta'ala is not sending people asking me for money. Allah Ta'ala is not sending pe uh, me people to me asking for help. That means I've done something wrong. Right. So every time somebody is coming to you for any sort of help, Allah Ta'ala is giving you the doorway to get closer to him through that person. Yeah. Any other questions? Keep asking, we're going to keep asking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sorry. Yeah, if, if you can excuse me, I actually really got to run. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And like I said, if you, if you, you can get my contact info from, from, from Atifah or, or Sheikh Abdel Nasser, um, or just look up Muslim Chaplain Loyola. I'm more than happy to help you in any way I possibly can. And may Allah reward you for all of your efforts and give you himma 
to, to carry the banner, you know, into the future. Right, subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasafiru kama tubi ilayk, wa akhiru da'wana, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Okay.